It's our privilege to have Pastor Martin Niss with us uh, this morning for the devotional from the Reformed Baptist Church of Kansas City. Uh, Brother Martin. He is risen. I feel more at home if I begin with that. Five years ago, I had the privilege of attending the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of American, America's General Assembly. And ever since, I find that the yearly Arbica GA is really the highlight of my year. Now, I don't know what that means about the excitement level of my life, that this would be the most exciting thing during the week or during the year, but it does speak to the level of appreciation I have. Appreciation. With the opportunity to form new relationships and to deepen older relationships with other pastors and other churches for my own personal benefit and for the benefit of my church and ultimately for the glory of Christ. And because of this partnership of like-minded brethren for the gospel of Christ and the priority of Christ himself in all things that I see in our association, I greatly appreciate Arbkin. And I greatly appreciate Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, I hope that's the worst transition you hear all week when someone's speaking up here. (laughs) But for much the same reasons, because of the theme of the partnership of the gospel, of the gospel of Christ and the priority of Christ himself in all things that I see in this letter to the Philippians. Paul's writing to the Philippians is such a heart stirring mixture of theology and experiential knowledge concerning the love of the brethren and the glory of Christ, that I find Philippians to be an indispensable resource for me as a pastor and as anyone who is called to love Christ and to love his church. And though there are many memorable and well-known verses or passages in Philippians, I would like for us to use a more obscure verse that's found near the end of Paul's letter in Philippians 4.14. Philippians 4.14. And on this, our first gathering, on our first day during this wonderful week, my prayer and desire is that the simple text can be used as a proper help and foundation for our week together. And I'd like to use Philippians 4.14 and really the whole letter of Philippians uh, to give two humble exhortations for us to consider this week as we begin. Let me read Philippians 4.14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. That's so short I can say it again. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. That doesn't seem like much, but let's, let's take this apart somewhat. First of all, Paul says nevertheless, and that's helpful. Because that means we need to look at the context of this letter. Why is he saying nevertheless? Well, the immediate context when he says nevertheless is in verses 10 through 13. He begins, I think, to to express his appreciation for the gift that the Philippians have given to him in his time of need and distress. But then as he begins to do that, he kind of goes into a little discussion about contentment. And he says, in a sense, that, you know, Whether I have a lot or whether I have little, whether I'm abased or whether I abound, I'm content in all things in Christ Jesus. And even I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And that's a wonderful encouragement, but I'm not sure it's the best way to show a compliment. It's almost as if Paul is saying, well, thanks for the gift, but you know, I'm content whether I have it or not. It reminds me of some of the, the really poor, poor ways I've tried to compliment my own wife or in such a way by saying something like, honey, you really don't look near as bad as you did yesterday. <laughs> After 25 years, I'm still working on that. But I think what's going on here is Paul says, nevertheless, after he speaks about contentment, nevertheless, I want you to know that I really do appreciate your gift. You have done well. That's the immediate context. But then it brings up the question, well, what is this gift? And what what is this relationship that Paul and the Philippians have? And so that brings us to the broader context of the letter. And I do believe there's a special relationship between Paul and the Philippian church that you can see from Acts chapter 16 that when the first Reformed Baptist Church of Philippi was formed, it was formed out of adverse conditions and Paul being used as a means to see that happen. And perhaps because of that, there continues to be a sacrificial giving of the Philippians to Paul and a sacrificial outpouring of love to him. And you can see that as the letter begins in Philippians chapter one, starting in verse three, when Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for all of you with joy for your fellowship or partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are partakers, partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, those words almost seem mushy, almost unmanly, but aren't they sweet? Isn't that the kind of longing and affection we desire to see in our churches and in our association as well? But at some point, the Philippians had lost track of Paul. And then they found out that he was in prison in Rome where this letter is written. And they found out that he's in distress there. He's stood trial. He doesn't know if he's going to be put to death or he's going to be released. And so the Philippians, as is their nature, they send a man named Epaphroditus with a generous gift to him. And Epaphroditus is himself a generous gift to Paul because he was meant to stay and to serve Paul, seeing Paul in much trial and distress. And then we see at the end of Philippians chapter two, another snapshot of the partnership in the gospel uh, between the Philippians and Paul, as Paul describes what was going on with Epaphroditus. And again, it's it's almost it's almost loving to the point of being comical, because what we see here is that Epaphroditus came to serve Paul and he became ill and even to the point of death. And his brethren in Philippi find out that Epaphroditus is, is that ill. And so now they're distressed over their brother Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus finds out that his brethren back home are distressed. So he's distressed because they're distressed. And in Paul, who's overseeing this whole thing, he's distressed because they're all distressed. And you see this wonderful picture of the partnership and the fellowship and the gospel of Christ. And so Paul writes, oh, but God had mercy upon Epaphroditus, but also upon me to save me from all sorts of sorrow. And so I'm going to send him back and most probably with this letter. And I want you to receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness 
and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Again, a wonderful picture, a vivid picture of the love and the partnership in Christ for the gospel of Christ. And so just from the word, nevertheless, we see the background of this very short and and simple verse in Philippians 4.14. And now after seeing that background, let us look now at verses or verse 14 in, in Philippians 4. And Paul writes, then, nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. The key phrase there is shared in my distress. The word for shared does not just mean share as if contributing to a cause or helping out, but it means sharing in or sharing with, participating together with others or partaking together with others in the activity. And distress has the idea of pressure, the pressing down, say, squeezing the the juice out of the grape or the oil out of the olive, affliction, tribulation. And you put those things together. And what Paul is saying is you did not merely join in contributing to my cause, but you partook in, you joined with me in my time of need. It's as if Paul's needs became their needs. So by meeting Paul's need, they were meeting their own need. And one writer has said that when Paul says, you have shared in my distress. He's really saying, you have made my affliction your own. You have made my affliction your own. I like that. They identified with Paul in his ministry, and his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. They saw Paul as an extension of themselves. Yes, they rejoiced in their partnership and the fruit that came from the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. But they also joined together in the afflictions and the trials of the ministry. You have shared in my distress. You have made my affliction your own. And when Paul says you have done well, he's saying this wasn't just out of duty. This is a noble deed. This is a beautiful thing. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 14 when the woman breaks the flask of the very expensive oil to anoint Jesus. And there are those there that are saying, whoa, you're wasting this expensive stuff. We could be giving that to the poor. Yeah. And Jesus says, why do you trouble her? She has done a good work. She has done well. She has done a noble deed. She has done a beautiful thing. For me. And I think the analogy is there that when we as brethren, we share in the distress with others for the proclamation of the gospel, we're doing a beautiful thing, not just for our brethren, but for Christ. Let me apply this to our association, if I would. We have a privilege, a responsibility and a wonderful opportunity within ARPCA. To share in the distress of so many. As we embark on this wonderful week together, I'd like to bring that to our attention. We have this wonderful opportunity to share in the distress of those who are who are partnering with us in the in the proclamation of the gospel. And I can think of countless examples for just, just a few, though. I'm thinking of a young family who are willing to suffer the pressure, the squeezing, the distress, the affliction of taking their family and going to the Middle East 
regardless of the cost, to present Christ and to live Christ in a hostile environment. And we as as an association, we have the privilege and the responsibility and the opportunity to share in their distress financially, prayerfully, with great encouragement. I can think of a sister church in Santiago, Chile, who recently, this past year, they lost their beloved pastor. He had to step down. And from afar, we ached with them. We shared in their distress prayerfully, knowing what problems can occur when the pastoral leadership is pulled away from a congregation. But then we can rejoice with them as well by, by seeing that God not only preserved that congregation, but he made them increase and provide a new pastoral leadership to the point where now the affliction there is we need a bigger place to meet. I can think of a military chaplain who is going through not just the struggle of of what comes from proclaiming the gospel in a military environment, but moving his family to Fort Hood, Texas, with all that goes with that. And we have the opportunity, the privilege, to share in the distresses that come with that. And think of the weekly emails that come. I hope you read those and share those with your congregations and pray for the brethren. I've been encouraged so much by reactions from from, I hope to have some positive things so you can say, hey, we're really grateful and happy with you instead of what we're praying for. Uh, but I, I think of all of that that goes on that we can share with one another and the distress of the gospel going forth. I think of a beloved pastor in Massachusetts now who's suffering the distress of medical problems and even financial problems within the church. But we as an association have really the joy of sharing in that distress prayerfully and financially. And so what a privilege we have in the fellowship of our association to share in these distresses. What a privilege it is to do well in the sharing of such a noble deed, a beautiful thing, and to rejoice as Christ is made known and Christ's gospel is proclaimed. And so I said at the very beginning, I said, I have two exhortations, humble exhortations. I look at this crowd, like, who am I to be exhorting you? But I have two humble exhortations. And the first one is understanding this. I'm not a betting man. I don't play one on TV. But if I was and if I did, I would bet. And it would be a safe bet that there's at least one pastor or one missionary in our midst this morning that is feeling that pressing down. The affliction that comes to the ministry of Christ Jesus. And I would bet that there's at least one pastor's wife or missionary's wife who maybe it's like secondhand smoke, but still it's the pressing down. It's the affliction that comes through the proclamation of the gospel. And so my exhortation would be, can we this week humbly and proactively, can we be ready to share in the distresses together this week in that way and to be sharing together in the joys there must be joys this week. I'm looking forward to those as well. And then can we then continue as time allows, as the, the course of this year moves on in these relationships to continue to actively support one another, even as the glow of the GA fades in the background as the months go on? Can we do that? And my exhortation to you and to myself is that we would indeed do that this week and beyond. Well, I said there are two exhortations. I really think there's two main themes of Philippians that, that, that I find encouraging. One is obviously the partnership in the gospel. But the other thing is the priority of Christ throughout the whole letter. And for me, for me, the most thrilling thing about Philippians is that priority of Christ throughout. The most frequent phrase in Philippians is what? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. 
And we see Paul from the very beginning with his utter devotion to Christ and his desire to see Christ preached and proclaimed and magnified. In chapter 1, we see that Paul says, I'm in chains, but I rejoice. What's with that? He says, I'm in chains, but I'm in chains for Christ, and therefore I rejoice because in my distress, I see that what has happened is that all things have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And I see that those who are at the prison guard, they're seeing Christ. And I see those who are outside, they're more emboldened to preach Christ because I can't. And even those who are trying to stir up more distress for me, I rejoice in that because they're preaching Christ. And I know whether I live or I die, I am convinced that Christ will be magnified in me. And so he says, for to me is to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then in chapter 2, that apex of the letter, we see Paul saying that we should have the mind of Christ, who, though he is very God, he humbled himself to become very man, a bondservant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. And unlike us, who can merely share in the distress of our brethren. This Christ Jesus came to fully and completely bear the distress of the brethren. This Christ suffered the pressure, the affliction of the wrath of God meant for our sins. He drank the cup of wrath to the very bottom, fully satisfying the Father's divine justice in our place. He lived a perfect life in fulfillment of his father's law, a life that we could never live, that he could die a perfect death in fulfillment of the penalty of that law, a death that we could never die, that all who would bow down before this Christ in repentance and faith would have their sins forgiven and Christ's righteousness given. And so Paul continues in Philippians chapter two to say that therefore, Therefore, God has also highly exalted this Christ and had given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is it any wonder then that Paul can say in chapter 3, as we should that he now considers that all of his earthly gains are dung, loss, in comparison to gaining Christ, to being found in Christ, to knowing Christ, to being conformed in Christ's death, that he eagerly awaits Christ's return when he will be fully conformed to Christ. And so in the meantime, as we should as well, he says he presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so that leads me to the second humble exhortation from this simple verse in Philippians 4.14. As we begin this wonderful week together, this highlight of the year, not only should we this week seek to share in the distress and the joy that comes from the partnership of the gospel of Christ, but I humbly exhort you, That we would humbly seek to have everything be done to the honor, to the glory, to the magnification of this Christ 
in our sharing, in our fellowship, in our relating trials of our churches with one another, in our disagreements, in our disputes, in our planning. Everything this week, may Christ be exalted in and through us to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Dear gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace, the mercy, the power shown to us in Christ Jesus. And we ask that you would bless us this week as we gather together, gathering together in the name of Christ. And may everything we do be done for Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, and because of the one who would bear all our distresses, enable us to share in the distresses and the joys of others this week and beyond. And may Christ Jesus be exalted this week to the glory of God the Father. Amen.